This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Sober Rebel podcast, episode seven in fact. I'm Louisa Evans and I invite my guests on to talk about the differences they've noticed being sober, the plus points, because we know that going sober isn't easy, but it does make life a lot easier in so many ways. I want to bring you entertainment and inspiration from all my amazing guests from all over the world. And today I'm excited to be talking to Austin, who lives in Denver, Colorado. And he's been sober for a mind-blowing amount of time, but I'll leave it to him to tell you more about that. Austin, hi. I am so happy to have you on here today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to start by asking the question that's now on everyone's lips. How long have you been sober for? So, um, yeah, 3,180 days. That is amazing. So what's that in years? I'm coming up on nine years. My uh, sober anniversary is January 23rd. And so I'm coming up in my world kind of to the anniversaries of a lot of really tragic parts of my alcoholism. But yeah, eight and a half, a little more than eight and a half years. So That's yeah, oh, just well crazy. done. I can't imagine it. I mean, I'm going to be coming up to a year in January. Congratulations. Um, so thank you. But I know what you mean about that anniversary thing because I'm noticing I'm coming up to some of the so the 20th of October was when I said enough was enough and I didn't manage to get it to stick initially Mm. so I'm coming up to that anniversary and you have weird emotions about it don't you oh totally no one really explained that to me in early sobriety like I I was around people who were also were sober I got involved in a program that really helped me in early sobriety but nobody really told me that like you're going to get, I use the word squirrely. You're going to get squirrely around the, your first anniversary. Like I thought it was going to be really exciting and it ended up being not exciting. I mean, the day of was, but leading up to it, I was really emotional and it took a lot out of me. And over the years, I've realized that it's because I'm working through these, these anniversaries leading up to the end. Cause the end of my alcoholism I wasn't a gray area drinker. I w- it wasn't like I came to this decision like, oh, alcohol is just not serving me. It got really dark toward the end. And so I have a lot of like dark anniversaries starting yeah. a right about this time. So, yeah, it must be difficult. It's interesting, as you say, you still kind of notice that eight years on. I talk a lot about my therapist. I've been, I started working with my therapist when I was drinking, which was a total waste of her time and my money. And then once I got sober, I went back to her. But one of the things that I really work with her on that's been super helpful is understanding kind of the cycle of my year, because I tend to go through similar things each year. And so uh, in the spring, in the fall, I have kind of things that I start to deal with. I was really lucky. I'll tell the story real quickly because I, I didn't go to her consistently. And the way I realized that my life 
in the year worked in these cycles is that I would call her at certain times of the year and be like, oh, I'd like to get back in and do some appointments. And after a while, I started realizing that those calls were happening at the same time of year. And so I was realizing that, oh, I was sinking into maybe a not healthy place mentally and emotionally. And so that helped me realize that really early on. And then we've worked through kind of this end of the year cycle that I work through. So um, to see 3000 days when I looked at your account, it was just like, I can't imagine that. I bet you couldn't have thought at the start that far ahead. I think if I would have, I never would have done it. Like uh, like the, the idea that you're going to quit drinking forever, it seems impossible. There's no way you can do that. And I would meet people who had long-term sobriety. And I always thought that they were just lying to me. Like they weren't actually that sober. Like they had just somehow figured out how to drink. And I just, since I couldn't figure it out, I had to do something else. But no, I, I still have a hard time believing that it's been eight years, more than eight years since I took my last drink. My life has changed so much. It doesn't feel like 3000 days. I think that's part of the reason I keep track of it. Because yeah. I'm like, I think I would really easily forget like how far I've come and tracking days helps me understand like the progress that I've made. So you said you weren't a, a gray area drinker. What was your drinking like then? Yeah, I was a blackout drinker. I Once I found alcohol, I obsessed over it. I loved everything about alcohol. It felt like it just clicked in my life. And so for the entire time that I drank... I always had too much, always drank too much, was always on the edge of oblivion when I drank. I was never a one and done or or five and done. I was an all. And I, I stopped drinking when I physically couldn't drink anymore. That's when I quit for the night. I was a blackout drinker forever, I think. I wanted to escape the world. I wanted to escape my mind. So I always wanted that release from the world and alcohol absolutely did that for me. So I started drinking when I was 19. And then from the time I was 19 until I was 34, I really drank more or less the same, always just as much as I could physically put in my body. And then the last 18 months, I really just started drinking how I wanted to drink, which was all day, every day. And that was, I say that's unsustainable for life. I could not continue living and drink like that. And my family realized that before I did, but my hat's off to the people who are gray area drinkers or are just examining their relationship with alcohol and are like, hey, this isn't serving me anymore. I didn't have that kind of understanding of alcohol. I needed to get to a really dark place before I could get to sobriety. Yeah. And what what was it that was there something that was a catalyst or was it a series of things that happened that made you think I've got to do something? I think I knew for a really long time that I had to quit. I knew I was an alcoholic in the darkness of night. I knew that I was an alcoholic. I knew that I had a drinking problem. I couldn't quit. It's really hard to explain to some people, but like I wanted to quit and I didn't want to quit. Like I wanted to, I wanted to not be in the misery, but I also didn't want to give up alcohol because I didn't know how to live any other way. So I, I knew for a long time, I would do the Google searches in the middle of the night. Like, am I an alcoholic and take the quiz, which I would ace because I always like that was very clear. If you're Google searching, am I an alcoholic in the middle of the night while you're drinking a big glass of gin? You're probably, you're probably yeah, you're probably I'm not going to define anybody else's alcoholism. <laughs> that was for me. Starting in October of 2014, my life really started to come apart. Um, I was drinking all day, every day. I had started to understand that I, 
I had become very physically ill all of the time. I would wake up in the morning and be physically sick every day. And that had been going on for a while. October was the first time I was hospitalized. I had actually gotten sick and then um, had gone through withdrawals and ended up in the hospital, which was horrible. And I think at that point I realized how bad things were getting when I ended up in the hospital with that. So it was October, kind of tried to get it together but it didn't stick. Like I thought maybe I could moderate for a minute. I think that lasted like four days where I was measuring drinks. And then I just went back to also measuring drinks at six in the morning. is not going to help. And then another hospitalization, a couple run-ins with family and my wife. And then I had what I could best describe as an emotional breakdown in early January. And my family came to me and said, that it was time to get help. And on that day, January 22nd, I heard them. I went to the hospital. I talked to a doctor. I got enrolled in an outpatient program here in the States. And January 23rd, I didn't take a drink and I haven't taken a drink since that day. So it was, it was a combination of my life, like really coming apart and then getting so exhausted and emotionally run down that my family, that I heard my family really heard them, I think, for the first time. Like they had all been saying for years that you have to get help. You have to get out of this. You have to figure this out. But that day, for whatever reason, I heard them and listened and I got help. And then I started what has become a 3000 day plus sobriety journey. That is scary stuff though, isn't it? And it's the fact that you were ready at that point to hear. I knew I couldn't carry on. I knew it was only going to end up in one place. I I just knew it. And that day, it's like you listen, all of a sudden you listen to your gut. But I had no one there saying, now, do you think maybe you're drinking too much? I probably would have fought them. So I would have, I wouldn't have listened if I was honest. It has to be the right time for somebody. You have to be open to listening to it. And you have to sometimes hit that rock bottom. I'm so sorry for you. It was such a horrible rock bottom. I'm really fortunate. I had a long way to go. I realized that my rock bottom was just the rock bottom that I stopped drinking at. There was more to come if I would have kept drinking. At that point when I quit, I still had my job. I still had my family. I still had my car. Everything from the outside looked okay. On the inside, it was falling apart. It wouldn't have been very long before the like the cracks started to appear to everyone else. And I would have lost my family, my car, my job. So yeah. So my car and my job, both I lost after I got sober. They're like the consequences of my alcoholism come to fruition in my sobriety. So, Well, let's talk about your sobriety then. So I ask people on here and I say three things that, that have changed for you in sobriety. And I know that you've said to me, you struggled to narrow it down to three. So let's give it a go. Shall we start with your first point? I would love to. The first thing that was the biggest change in my life in sobriety was finding myself. I had absolutely no idea who I was. I started drinking at 19. Prior to that, I thought of myself and even into my adulthood as this shy, unlikable little boy. That was the picture of who I was. And and no matter what happened in my life, I couldn't shake that feeling. So I I just saw myself as this shy little boy. And when I pictured myself, that's how I would picture myself, regardless of how old I was. At 19, when I discovered alcohol, that voice just went away. 
it silenced all of that. And I became this other person, this outgoing, friendly, energetic person. And that, that actually is fine for a little while, but alcohol then changed all of that. When I got sober, though, I had to struggle with that. That voice came back pretty early on, that idea of being a small little boy, small, shy little boy. And I, in my sobriety, what I've worked on doing is uncovering who I actually am, because I'm I'm neither that shy little boy, nor am I that energetic, outgoing. I'm a combination of those things. I'm both of those things, but I'm not one or the other. And that's taken a long time to really work through, like, who am I at the core of who I am? I didn't like change who I am in sobriety. I just learned who I really am in sobriety. I often think a lot of it like when they talk about a sculptor and a piece of marble, they're just taking away the things that aren't the art. Like they're just uncovering the thing that's really in there. And that's the way it feels to me. I just had to peel away all of these things that weren't me to get down to who I really was. That was just a process. It's been, and it's still a process I'm working on. This is not like sobriety isn't a, for me anyway, it has, it isn't a destination. It's a continuous process that I work on. That is beautiful. I love that idea of the marble and just uncovering what's, what's there all along. Yeah. I don't think we ever do know ourselves. And if you start drinking as a teenager, like most people do start drinking as a teenager, I don't think you know who you are as a teenager. I remember myself feeling very unlikable, very vulnerable, very shy almost, but encased in this gregarious, smiley kind of person that was just hiding and terrified inside. And alcohol is just a masking device. So how did you go about unmasking your true personality? How did you find out who you really were? I don't think I set out with the intention of finding out who I really was. So it took a while for me to start that work. I really started the work of dealing with the wreckage of my past was kind of the first thing I did, which was certainly an interesting journey. But I don't know that it, that helped me a lot understand who I was. So that was kind of the beginning of my sobriety was a lot of like dealing with those things. Like I said, I work with a therapist. I think that, that is, that's really important in my sobriety to have someone professional that I can go and talk to and work through the things that I believe are true that may or may not be true. And I have to tackle each one of those. And in my now eight years of therapy, we go back to some things like, do I still think that? Do I still believe those things? And we'll, we'll go back to places that we've had conversations before and start to work on those things again. There are a couple of things that became really important to me, that I think helped me uncover myself more than anything else. And one of them was honesty. So in alcoholism, I was a liar. I don't think there's any other way to stay. For me, there wasn't another way to stay in alcoholism, to stay in my addiction if I wasn't a liar. So in sobriety, I kind of knew that I had to change a lot of things. And honesty seemed like one of those things, but I had no idea how to be honest with anyone or myself. So I started to work on this idea of rigorous honesty with myself and with others above all tell the truth and that seemed to help a lot if i thought that i was going to tell someone a lie or a fib 
or whatever you want to call it, I would have to think about why I was doing that. Like even in an email to a client, why do I feel the need to like shade the truth? And that helped a lot. Each time that I found myself lying, I explored why I was lying. That was just a daily process of understanding what I was doing in my actions and, and why I was taking those actions. And then the second most important thing was giving back, not being a taker. When I was in alcoholism, I was a taker. I took from everyone around me. And so I just reversed the flow of energy, I think, and started giving more than I was taking. And that helps me also understand that that's a really important part of my life and sobriety. I love to help people and be of service. It's this series of daily activities, more so than like sitting down. I'm not a journaler. I don't like write other than my therapist. I'm not confessing my sins to anyone. I'm not like going through a process like that. I find my sobriety is best served when I take action in the day that I have. And that brings us, I think, to your second point of sobriety, which I'll over to you. It's uh, I learned to find contentment in today. This took me a really long time to figure out, actually. I want to have like dreams and goals and achieve things in my life. I think everyone does. Yeah. I can only speak for myself. I have a tendency when I set those goals and start to look to the future, I get lost in the future. I stop spending time in today and I start spending time in tomorrow and further than tomorrow. And it isn't like I'm just setting goals and then thinking about tomorrow. I am living in tomorrow. I, I am not here at all. And so early in sobriety, I lived this day at a time concept. Like I heard that concept of live one day at a time. And it, it was at early in sobriety it was all I could do anyway, which was like not drink and live in today. Like I do 10 minutes. I wasn't even doing it 24 hours at a time. And then I got comfortable in my sobriety. And then I started looking to the future, but I was living in the future. I was living in these imagined places that were never going to arrive. And I got really miserable in my sobriety. That's so interesting, isn't it? We've all heard, I think, if you're in the sobriety circle, one day at a time is what you're told to do. Yeah. And it's something that I sometimes struggle with, but I can completely see what you're saying you know, I was told to do dream boarding years and years and years ago. Mm. And I did this dream board of all these things. And I used to look at it and it just used to make me feel so miserable <laughs> because I think, okay, I need to come back to now. And that, now you're saying that I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, that was the problem. I don't do dream boarding now. I don't do five-year goals and I might do a Right. In six months, I want to do that. I'm more of a, if I've got a project, I'm doing it immediately, get it done. But that concept of really, truly bringing yourself back into the now, how did you actually do that each day? What did you do when you found your head drifting off into the future? Because it's quite a natural thing to happen, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's funny because I started to do things before I realized that they're actually things. So for example, I set process goals which I did not know were a thing, but it's just something I did because it helps me stay present. So instead of setting a goal that's five years away or 10 years away or six months away, uh, the goals that I'm setting are really short-term, but they're also goals that are process and action-oriented. 
So I'm kind of like, if I achieve that little goal, then I'm moving in the right direction. That, that helps me stay present in today. Instead of the goal being achieving this thing that's going to take years to get to, I set a goal that is I can achieve in the next 30 minutes. And then I achieved that goal. And now I've taken that step. I can celebrate that win, which I'm terrible at doing, but I should. That's a thing I'm working on, like celebrating my little goals, my little wins. But that's that's for me, it's setting process-oriented goals, knowing that I am moving in a direction, but I really don't pay attention to the end. Because I've, I've also come to learn that I, I never get to the place that I said I was going to get to. Like the thing that I wanted, that I set the goal for, is never actually the thing that I get to. It's some version of it. It's adjacent to it, but my life takes this windy path and other things come up. And it it may be that I had a goal and then I, I found this other thing that I did for a while and then I come back to that goal. And so just achieving that goal, I know is not gonna make me happy. Getting to that place, I'm not going to be happy there. And so I just like pull everything as close to me as possible and then glance up every once in a while. Am I even going in the right direction? Yeah. So I kind of compare it to like paddling across a lake. I've been using this term in this, I go uh, camping and we paddle across lakes and you're going for this point, but you kind of in the paddling process, you kind of meander a little bit more than important than anything is just paddling. Because you're never going to get to the other side of the lake if you don't paddle. And so that's part of my process. Just doing the action of today that gets me a step closer to where I eventually think I want to go. And when that goal is too fixed, isn't it? You don't know where life is supposed to take you. You've got to hand yourself over to a certain degree. You're not as in control as you think you are of where your destination could be. And it's that illusion of control that often causes that that discontent inside. Totally. Yeah. And it's that feeling of contentment, isn't it? That just being content in today. That's really hard though. Like being content in today, because I think we're, there's the outside influence that's on us is so strong of like, sit down and set your five years goals, set your 10 year goals. Where, what money do you want to get? What house are you going to buy? Like, are you going to like, these are conversations, at least in the States. I I know it's a, a lot of places. Some cultures are better or worse about this. Like we have outside pressure all the time to achieve more, to earn more, to give our kids more. And I do want some of those things, but I also know that they're not going to make me happy, right? Having more money is not going to make me happy because I've done that. Like I've made the money and I was not happy. Yeah. Same here. I've done, I've made the money. I've lost the money. I've made it again. You know, I've driven the cars, (laughs) you know? I've done it's, it, done it, and it doesn't make you happy. No. And so what what good is it? Like, I mean, trying to achieve more and do all those things. I'm achieving things in my life. I'm doing the things now more so than before. I'm achieving the things that I want to do. I'm just approaching it in a different way that's healthier for me. And sobriety is one of those things that that's making me happy. And if you'd have told me that on that day when I was absolutely terrified of it, and I thought my life was going to be over, that you are going to get more joy out of the feeling of achievement of hitting your head on the pillow sober that day or dealing with that emotion that day or getting through that holiday when you thought you were going to be tempted and 
you've had a lovely time and then you you just feel you, you're connecting back into the joy of the present moment is what I find. I totally agree with that. Sobriety is a like, it's amazing to me that we go from actively poisoning ourselves to living a completely different way in our lives. And it is so unexpectedly enjoyable. I always say this is a life I never thought I wanted. I didn't want to live this way, but now I can't imagine living any other way because you're right. When you, when you have that day that was challenging and you were in your emotions and you sometimes even now I'm like, how am I doing this? How am I going to get through this pain or this worry or this anguish or my brain is racing and I know that I could make it all go away, right? I could take a drink and it could evaporate all of these feelings, all of this just magic switch, it goes away. Being able to hit your pillow sober after all of that is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. It really is. And it's... For somebody in early sobriety, because people are going to be listening to this podcast, various stages of their sobriety journey. And I know I talk to people, I I consider myself to be early in sobriety as well. Um, But right at the start, when you're battling that voice, when you're battling the, the cravings or the thoughts that you want to drink. And it's like you say, for some, it's 10 minutes, 10 minutes at a time or half an hour or just get through the day and just get to bed. And it's that feeling of achievement I remember right at the start. It was the the energy that kept me going. It was, I did it. I did it. You know, I called her the wine witch. My voice was the wine witch. And I got past five o'clock. I got past six o'clock. I had a cup of tea. I went, you know, watched a bit of telly, went to bed. And I'm awake. And I'd open my eyes because I used to have that 3 a.m., 4 a.m. wake up where I told myself I wasn't going to drink the night before. And then I realized at 3, 4 a.m. I was never massively hungover, but now I realize I was just permanently feeling rubbish. But I'd wake up and I'd go, oh, I've done it again. And then the difference between waking up and going, oh, I didn't do it, was just, it was just phenomenal. And so in those moments, I sort of say to people, just the, the phrase, play the tape forward, play it forward. Just imagine what it's going to feel like when you wake up. And you've done that for over 3,000 mornings 3180 mornings is it I still I'm absolutely blown away by that figure I can't believe I don't know what my my number is actually um but it's approaching 300 and I can't believe that I couldn't do two days I no you were talking about waking up in the morning I toward the end of my active addiction I would wake up in the morning and I would solve that problem of my brain racing by drinking that's when things really started to fall apart that process of like the wake up and the shame spiral and the anxiety and all of that is so powerful. That keeps us in addiction for so long because we're just, we're feeding all of those feelings. And in sobriety, we get the opportunity to feed the good things that are happening in our lives, but we have to stop and recognize those things too, right? That's part of the process because it's really easy to just, and this is part of the reason I count days. Some people don't day count. And I don't like know off the top of my head, my day, most of the time I have an app that helps me with that. Obviously Uh, there's great technology that keeps track of our days for us, but I usually have a rough idea, but celebrating like waking up in the morning and feeling great, taking that minute to be like, I feel really good this morning, or I got through that really hard thing, or my boss was really tough on me yesterday 
and I didn't react, right? I took the time needed to think and respond and then be honest. Those processes feed our sobriety. And that's how you get to 300 days and 3000 days and 15,000 days and longer because we, we get to build on the wins and we just have to keep looking at those wins and be like, I did that yesterday. So, yeah. And we're building the best versions of ourselves. It's almost like somebody's giving us, or we're giving ourselves actually, let's not give anybody else any credit. (laughs) We're actually doing it for ourselves. We're saying, right, how can I be the best version of myself? And I notice I've got more patience with my children. I've got more patience with work projects, with, you know, if I'm editing something and it's not going quite right, it's, I, I don't lose my temper with it as easily as I would have done. It's a beautiful opportunity, but it's, it was almost disguised as this hideous decision that you'd have to make. And it's, it's wonderful to be the other side of it going, God, it was just such a blessing. I'm almost grateful for my sobriety. I'm grateful that it got bad enough that I wanted to stop. And I'm grateful I stopped when I did. You know, I think if I'd have been um, a lighter drinker, I would have probably carried on a lot longer. I think think it would be really hard to, I tried to quit when I was 25 and I, I knew I had a problem, but I wasn't like the consequences weren't there yet. And I just couldn't do it. Like I couldn't, couldn't imagine it. Couldn't imagine what life would be like. And so I just, I went back to drinking. I spent another decade drinking. I want to go back to something you just said, because I think that it's really important. I didn't know this in early sobriety. Like you're still going to have emotions. Like you're still going to get angry. You're still going to be short with your kids. You're going to lose your patience. I get upset with my wife. Those are things that still happen, but I respond to them so differently now than I did when I was drinking. So they still come up. And I, I think I thought that I would maybe stop feeling those things or that like I like that wouldn't be a great sobriety if I was still feeling anxious or worried or angry or frustrated but I just realized that those are normal emotions that people have and I get to decide how to respond to them after that initial emotion that's one of the hardest things for me because I didn't know anything about emotions when I was 34 years old I had a I had a really emotional day on Friday and it came from nowhere and it wasn't triggering. It wasn't that sort of emotional day. It was just an emotional day. I was dealing with some stuff with my eldest daughter and her emotions and there was a lot of things going on. And I sat in it and I listened to what I needed and I responded, like you say, don't react, respond. I responded in a different way to if I was a drinker and it doesn't matter, you know, I I am a therapist. I do know this stuff, but I'm still human. And I would still have moments of extreme frustration, but they are fewer now than when I was a drinker, because you're dealing with this toxin in your body that's being processed. And there's a lot of things your body can't cope with doing all of these different things at once. And I always think the first thing to go is your patience, actually as a drinker, you don't have the same tolerance. Your focus is on when can I have a glass of wine just to chill out or whatever it is that you drink. Whereas that's been the freedom for me is actually that I'm I'm sat here going, right, well, that's really interesting. I'm having an off day and I do journal. So I get my pad and paper out and I'm, you know, I'm writing pen and paper and I'm writing down what's going on. My therapist has told me for years I need to journal. 
I'd say we the same flat. thing to you. <laughs> it's become an ongoing joke between the two of us. Like, she's like, have you been journaling? And I'm like, what do you think? So I have actually found a new outlet. It kind of, it's my, it has become my journal, which is creating content for social media. And we've been talking about that process of like thinking about what I'm going to talk about and then recording a video and then um, answering questions and comments and things like that. It is, it has become a journal process for me. I, I reflect on things that are happening and then I talk about them. So, and then that has been super helpful. So I did have to give my therapist credit that I'm basically doing a different version of a journal now. And it has been super helpful. I just am not doing her version of a journal, which she doesn't have an actual you know, version. She's just like, you write a sentence, it's fine. So, <laughs> You know why it helps? It helps to put thoughts, because our thoughts are, are buzzing around our head. And then you, you've got this ability when you write it down to see the truth. So when you're telling yourself negative thoughts, lies, or looking at things in, in a way that isn't helpful, especially around sobriety, especially around alcohol, you know, why do I think I need that drink? Or whatever it is that's going on, you've fallen out with your partner or you've had an argument with your son or something, then what has actually happened? Let's look at the truth of it. When you write it on paper, it's black and white. So it's really easy then to look at it more objectively than if it's still buzzing around in here, as objective as you try to be. And of course, it's data. And as a marketing person, fellow marketer, you know, you can look back, like you say, Instagram, your your post, your social media posts are brilliant. Because you can look back and go, look how far I've come. Totally. I love following people on Instagram and TikTok that are creating content early in sobriety. I love meeting people who are starting this journey and going through the process because it, it helps me to remember what those early days were like too. Because I have I have no desire to go back to those days, but I also know that like there's an alternate path for me that I end up back behind day zero if I don't live my life in a way that feeds my sobriety. So I love watching people do that and like share these thoughts. It's, it is like a, like reading someone's journal oftentimes. So here's the thing about journaling. I understand it. Like, it's not that I don't get it. I just think I'm going to do it wrong. And so I don't do it. And no one's going to read it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. Even as a therapist, she'll go, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You just need to look at it yourself. It's that perfectionism then, isn't it? It's that kind of, I need to get it right. It is very useful. I find it useful. I always get a piece of paper out. And I remember I was on holiday and I was felt very triggered by seeing these people at the pool with their beers and it was a hot day. And, and so I actually, I didn't have a pen and paper. So I got my phone out and I started to write it in my notes on my phone and I just said, look, what's the reality? You know, you think that it's one beer, right? So it's not going to be one beer. And I'm, I wouldn't have had 10 beers or something, but I would have had enough to dehydrate me. I would have had enough to make me sleepy. I would have had enough to ruin the holiday as in I've let myself down. I was about five, six months sober at that point. And I put all the truths down. And then all of a sudden, these ice cold drinks going past me didn't bother me. They just didn't. I, I saw the truth. I love that. I love that idea of seeing the truth. Yeah, because our thoughts aren't facts. Uh, I've joked with clients, I'm going to get it tattooed across my forehead that thoughts aren't facts. And we can question them and we can choose better thoughts. We can, for years, I thought before I trained, I thought thoughts were facts. I thought if it was in my head, it must be true. You know, so if I was having a bad day or if I was having a, a bad thought, I'd think, well, that must be true. And then you 
you come across things like the law of attraction and things, and then you're told what you think you attract and you think, oh no, I don't want to think that. Oh no, <laughs> why am I thinking that? Stop it, stop it. And you start to panic and start to try pushing thoughts away. And as an overthinker, which I am, that was a terrifying prospect. So I love any anything that takes that pressure off uh, believing everything in my head is good in my book. Yeah. Particularly in sobriety. I, uh, I think that travel story, that that's one of the harder things that traveling early in sobriety was really hard for me. And even now, last year, almost a year ago now, we went to an all-inclusive resort and it was the first time I'd ever been to one. And part of that was because I had been sober. I just what didn't feel strong enough in my sobriety to go to a place like that. And the last day that we were there, I actually wrote about this one of the big, a big post that did on Instagram, that there was this bottle of champagne in our room. And I was, you know, I'm set with seven and a half years sober at that time, almost eight years sober. And I remember thinking this instantaneous thought of that's how you celebrate. That's how you celebrate a great, the end of a great trip. That's the perfect end to this trip would be to have a glass of champagne. And it was so immediate mm. that it took me by surprise. And I, I did take a, some time to explore that thought. And I actually immediately talked to my wife about it, like exactly what I was thinking and what I was feeling in the moment. I didn't wait because I had to like get, it was just a second, but yeah. it only takes that one second of, of that. Like my, it's, I don't, my brain isn't tricking me. I real like, I don't believe that. I don't believe my brain's trying to trick me. It's just that it's all of the things I know and learned and been taught and been influenced by that. That's the way you celebrate. And I had to like immediately check myself. And so I think that that's an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And it is. And the brain, it, it's not that the brain ever tries to lie to us. It's that it's trying to keep us safe. And so it works on patterns and it works on habits. So it will look and try and associate. So it sees something and then it will associate the nearest thing it's seen to it. And is there a threat? Can it keep you safe? And it's doing all of this in like milliseconds and presenting all of this information to us. And it's up to us then to go, right, is that accurate? Or can I choose a different thought? But when we're in the early days of sobriety, it seems like that's overwhelming. It seems like all of these thoughts about, oh, I've got to have a drink to celebrate. I can't go to that wedding without having a drink. Like you say about all-inclusive. I've looked at all-inclusive holidays. And do you know the thought that comes up? Well, you're paying for it. You're paying for it. You may as well drink it. You know, even though I wouldn't, I know if I went on an all-inclusive, I'd feel somehow cheated watching other people with their really expensive alcohol that they were drinking, which is just ludicrous. I'll it's tell you with a trick that I did. I just ate my money's worth. I, so. think, that's a, <laughs> I think that's a really good tactic. <laughs> it was really fun. I knew that I wasn't strong enough in early sobriety or it's or at points in my sobriety. So I also don't put myself in situations purposefully to make my life harder. Like, I was going to say that to you, you know, you, you did say you you hadn't done it up until that point for a reason, presumably. Yeah. I mean, my sister loves all-inclusive resorts and she has been talking about them for years. The, her kids love them. She's like, your kids would love them. They're great. I'm actually on my desktop, my computer right now, looking at a picture from that trip. She's like, they're amazing. You'll have so much fun. And I just, I knew that I would feel like I wasn't getting my money's worth. I would feel like I was being left out, that other people were having more fun than I was having. I knew all the thoughts that I would have there. And I also knew that 
it would be almost impossible to escape that situation. You're going to be there for five or seven days. What if all of those hit you on day one? And then you're just miserable for six more days. Why put yourself in that situation? That's the thing that I really worked on early in sobriety. I don't have to do things that make life harder for me. Yeah. I just, if I'm not feeling sure of myself and I'm unsure in my sobriety or I'm feeling worried or I, man, I've had a long couple of weeks and that party is coming up. No one is going to care if I'm not there. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's not like my mom's birthday. Right. But like, and even if I went to my mom and was like, Hey, I am in a bad way right now. She would understand, right. Having those honest conversations with people as well don't have to make my life hard. And it is that rigorous honesty. Uh, How many times do we tell little white lies trying to appease something or make somebody feel better? Or, And I love that. I love that you're, even with an email to a client or something, you're thinking, right, well, why am I trying to soften this? Why am I trying to color what's really happening? Why am I trying to do that? And searching within, because it's usually an insecurity or something in ourselves or... (laughs) You know, you're only going to benefit from that sort of introspection. I love that introspection. And that's the other thing that sobriety has given me, the opportunity to really think about why we do things. It's like that process is challenging, but the result of it is I've started to refer to my sobriety as like this happy and healthy version of my sobriety or an unhappy version of my sobriety. Because for me, I'm on a path of sobriety. If I start drinking again, I'm not guaranteed to get back to sobriety, but I can have two versions of my sobriety. I could have one that's happy and healthy, and I could have one that I'm miserable in, even if I'm still not drinking. And so the work that I do is not to stay sober. It's to have the best version of my life that I can have. So I don't think about it as like black and white, like drinking or not drinking. I think about it as the version of my sobriety that's healthy for me and not unhealthy. I like that. I really do because I have met drinkers that are 10 years sober and they are feeling like they're missing out. I wanted to go sober 10 years before I did and I knew one person that was sober and they were bloody miserable. And I remember looking at them thinking, well, you can keep that. There's no way I'm doing that. And it was Instagram. It was finding Instagram and seeing all these people that you thought, hang on a minute, you're happy (laughs) and you're healthy and you're not crying in the corner. I mean, and actually then to realize it's it's an upgrade. Don't want the rock bottom. I, I think it's wonderful if somebody can turn around that drinks once a week and says, no, it's not serving me anymore. I, I just admire anyone that walks away from this thing that's been marketed. Like you say, with those thoughts that are coming at you, the things you've learned over the years, you've picked it up from the marketing, the selling, the, the amount of money that's pumped into the industry to get us all drinking. And it is the culture. I don't know what the culture is like over there. Uh, the culture in the UK, we're big drinkers. The culture of drinking, I think, invades our lives everywhere. It's everywhere. And we're told that it is part of life. That is just a necessary ingredient to everything that you do. And then if you develop a problem, that's on you. Yeah. That's your fault. And then you're a social pariah because you couldn't figure it out. Like everyone else could figure it out and you just couldn't. It's on social media. It's on billboards. It's so everywhere that if you're sad, people say you should have a drink. And if you're happy, you should celebrate with a drink. That's how everywhere it is in our lives. It is the first thing that people say, like, man, having a rough day. Oh, you should have a drink. Yeah. 
that doesn't happen by accident. That mm. happened because we've been taught those messages by oh, people yeah. who are interested in selling us more alcohol. I mean, let's just be honest about where those messages come from. It doesn't come from us wanting to feel like garbage. It comes right. from people who want to sell us something. And I saw a fantastic post on social media the other day that said like the marketing of, of alcohol, it's selling feelings. It's not selling the actual product. You know, being in marketing, we know that we sell on feelings. We do. But alcohol is a cruel one. It really is the feelings it's promising you and the reality of what it delivers are two totally different things. And then you sit there as the person in early sobriety or thinking about sobriety, thinking, why am I the only one who can't cope with this? Well, actually, I think there's a lot more of us out there. It's just that nobody really wants to talk about it, hence this podcast. I think this is the best thing that's happening with social media and this format with podcasting is this idea of recovering out loud. I stumbled upon that and realized that that became really important to me, like sharing my story and being out about my sobriety. I knew like you, like one other person that was sober and they were very quiet about it. Um, they were happy in their sobriety. It wasn't um, something they talked about a lot. I knew about it because we were close, but other than that, I wouldn't have known about it. I would say we we suffer so loudly, like everyone around us sees the end, especially the end of our alcoholism or the messy things that we do. And then we get sober and it gets really quiet and yeah. we stop sharing. Like, and I think we should do the best we can to be as as noisy as we can about sobriety because I think it helps other people. And I, your podcast and, and everything that's happening in the recovery space, I think is really important for, I think more people will find sobriety sooner Yeah, because there is this map. You can do it and it's good and it's healthy and you can live the life you want to live. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is so refreshing to see so many people recovering out loud. It's amazing. If we can help people come to it earlier so that there isn't the rock bottom so there isn't some of the health issues and some of the emotional you know it's it's really tough but if you could get to that sooner if you could know it was okay to go hang on a minute I, I'm fed up of these Sunday morning hangovers now that wipe me out all day or and and to come at it from that angle brilliant and to know actually it's an upgrade it really is I can't believe how much of an upgrade it is to my life So let's talk about your third point then. We actually talked about it quite a bit, um, but life is easier. This is like a big realization. When I was working on these three things, it was like, what are the three biggest things I've learned in sobriety? And to be perfectly frank, I've learned a lot about myself and life in sobriety in eight and a half years. And so part of me really wanted to go back to the very beginning and be like, what did I learn early on? So I, I think I have like five versions of this list of the three <laughs> things that I learned, but Life just gets so much easier. Like I was making my life so hard. I had a friend once who said that he was talking about like the chaos of work or something. And he said it was like having a fire extinguisher in one hand and a flamethrower in the other. And you're just spinning in circles. That is totally what my life in addiction was like. Just like starting fires and putting them out. Yeah. And it's doing it all myself. Like no outside sources. Yeah. Yeah, your own fire starter. Yeah, absolutely right? love it. Like, yeah. just, why am I starting fires everywhere? And so in sobriety, I stopped setting fires. 
Um, I do set them occasionally. Like it is still in my nature to every once in a while start a small little fire burning, but I, I don't have to set fires. And if I don't, there's this ease in life that comes in sobriety that I did not expect. The emotions are all still there. The worry is still there. The anxiety, work pressures, all of it's still there, but it's so much easier than it was when I was drinking. That is phenomenal. You're right. It is. It doesn't matter what's going on because you are still going to get those down days. You're still going to get those emotional days and still have things, worries. You talk about worries. For me, it's my brain, switching my brain off. Alcohol was a quick switch for me to stop the overthinking Um, as, as a creative person. You're a creative person. It's quite hard sometimes to switch off, isn't it? Mm hmm. I call it my magic switch. Alcohol was my magic switch. I can make all of the reality go away. Like it's all still there. I just separated from it. But the magic switch is just poof. Everything is gone. My brain stops running. The worries go away. My boss goes away. Everything <laughs> just evaporates. And I carry that magic switch with me, right? I know it's still there. I heard one of your podcasters, one of your guests the other day talking about like uh, looking for their off switch. Like I know that I have a magic switch still installed in me and I just avoid it. But I, I know that I can make reality go away. I know the mechanism to do it. But I also know that the playing the tape forward, the end result of that is my life gets harder. So it can temporarily disappear, but eventually I have to come back to it. And life is really hard again. So, yeah. And having that easier life, once you've experienced life being easier, easier, not easy, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. That's what it is, right? You know, once you see it, I think even if I started drinking again, I would, I would try and get back to that easier life, which would be miserable. I don't want to have to go through this work again. No, so I mean, that's like you talking about, I felt emotional when you said seeing another day zero. <laughs> Oof. I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing that from where I am. And that's not being cocky or complacent or anything like that. I just can't imagine it. it there isn't a big enough pull that would make me want to go through these nearly 300 days again. And I'm presuming that's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger as as time goes by. Obviously, you know, you need to be vigilant. I'm looking at this photo from our trip, from our all-inclusive trip, and it's the, looking at the ocean. And I I often think about early sobriety, like these waves coming in, these waves that wash out emotion and the catastrophizing and all of those things. And they feel like they're going to drown you when you first start. They are so overwhelming. The ease that comes over time of work and the daily activities and all those things, those waves just kind of become this like, they still come, but they are they're smaller and they're less frequent and they just kind of roll in. You're like, I know how to deal with that one. That's the ease. It's like this calm ocean, just very slowly coming in. That's what my life feels like now. It just feels, it's not easy. That's the important thing. It's easier. It's yeah. calmer. I still have things I have to deal with. I'm still a catastrophizer. I'm still a worrier. I still have anxiety but it's not anywhere. I'm not setting active fires in my life. Yeah. So. Yeah. I do love all these analogies. They're absolutely brilliant. I have to see things in my head. Like if I can't picture it, then it, my brain lets it go. Maybe if I journaled, 
it would all be like, it would all be doodles in your journal wouldn't it, it would all be right pictures. yeah just like i have a pictorial journal now yeah what would you say to somebody because people are going to be listening to this and they're at the start or in early days what piece of advice or what few pieces of advice would you give to them about early sobriety i would say i believed early in sobriety that was, that sobriety was a punishment there was a punishment for not living my life appropriately, that I couldn't figure out how to drink, that I couldn't figure out how to live my life. And so the punishment for that was sobriety. And that has been the furthest thing from the truth. I live a life that I never could have imagined. And that to me is so amazing. So that would be the first thing. It's not punishment. Sobriety is not punishment. It might feel like it at first. But for me, it hasn't been. If you're trying this and you're into those early days, it's not always going to be like it is when you first get started. The first days are hard. No one told me how hard those days were going to be. I joke about this, but I did 10 minutes at a time, right? I want a drink so badly that I went for a walk and then I came back and I still wanted that drink and I went and did something else and I came back and that was all I could do at first. But it's not always going to be like, I go hundreds of days without actually thinking about drinking. Like I don't think about alcohol anymore. I don't think about consuming it anymore. It doesn't have the same pull that it did at one time. I would say that you need to find a community wherever it is, find other people that can give you hope that things will get better. So an online community, an in-person meeting, a 12-step program, um, there's lots of options out there but I needed people in my life who had walked this road and could give me hope for the future. They were living happy and healthy and fulfilling lives. And I could look at them and say, that's what I want. And they could at least show me that it was possible. I could get past this horrible day that I was having tomorrow might be better. I don't want to go back to day zero because I'm not guaranteed to get back to day one. Like, yeah. This is a gift that I've been given. I don't know that I have another chance at this. So if you stay in recovery long enough, you will lose friends. I've lost friends to alcoholism because they didn't get back to day one. And so I'm not guaranteed another day one. So I'm just going to stick doing what I'm doing now. And if you're struggling and you're doing these things, just tomorrow you get another chance. It's a process of just days. And they get easier and better and great and amazing. And then you look back and you're like, man, how, what this life is amazing. Where did those 3,000 days go? Yeah. I don't know. They just went. And now I'm here. I did go to meetings. I found a community. And that has helped me maintain a happy and healthy sobriety over time. Finding other people who are doing the same thing that I am. Yeah, and it is finding that community and it's it's having that, as lovely as online communities are, it's sometimes having those face-to-face real-life connections as well, isn't it? And and yeah. hearing that somebody said to me very early on, um, somebody I met through Instagram, was it gets easier as the time's ticking on. And I think I was in month two at that point and I was like, Do you know what, even compared to last week, it's getting easier. Oh, yeah, because those first few days, those first few weeks, those first couple of months you do feel like you're riding those really extreme waves and and being pulled under at times and now I don't want to see 
another day zero. I don't want to see another day one. I'm really sorry to hear about your friends. It is the sad, very sad reality of the fact this is a very serious subject. So well done on on what you're doing. It's a beautiful thing to see somebody that really has worked through everything or is working through everything. And we all want to see these people that are sober, like you say, to, to show that there's life at the end of it. I am blown away. I, sometimes I'm at a loss for words for what this process has been like and this continuing process because I don't even recognize that life that I was living. It feels like two different people. I know that it's not two different people, but it is so different. It's hard to reconcile in my brain. And so it is this amazing gift of getting to live a life that is like nothing else. It's how it's meant to be lived, really, without being very controversial, without a toxin. It's it's life in its purest form, isn't it? Yeah. And other people, I think the hardest thing is like, I look around the world and other people who didn't struggle with addiction, like learned all of these things. They learned them earlier than I, they learned how to deal with their emotions and how to not set fires actively in their life and all of those things. They learned that when they were 20 while I was drinking my life away. The difference is I've been to this incredibly deep and dark place And so part of the joy of my life now is like the distance between the great part of my life and the horrible part. And most people don't ever experience that high and that low. That's what makes it feel more amazing is like the, the distance that's been covered from that horrible, my rock bottom to the way I live my life now. To me, that's the amazing thing. Like my life is pretty normal on a day to day basis. But I also remember what it was like to wake up at four in the morning and pour myself a drink while I was shaking. So I think that those are very different things. It is a world away, isn't it? Oh, thank well, thank you so much for talking to me. It has been an absolute pleasure. I love your videos. Oh, um, thank you. They're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. Your reels on Instagram. So they're so yeah. much fun to do. They're my and now now you can think of them as my journal. It's just my. And now I know. Time. Now I know it's your journal and it's your therapy. <laughs> yeah. Behind the curtain. From the vantage point of eight years, it's amazing to hear somebody looking back on eight years. And the fact that you haven't allowed that fading effect bias to kick in at all. You know, you're very aware as to where you are, but also very grateful. And and that contrast as well. Like you say, most people don't experience that level of contrast in their life. And and hopefully they, they never will. But it does make it so much sweeter now as well for you. Yeah. This whole process has been just amazing. And I, I want to thank you for letting like letting me come on and, and share my story. I hope that people can can gain hope from it. That's what I would like, is that, that life just gets, it doesn't have to be like it is now. I know. I Well, I feel hopeful. I, I feel hopeful talking to you from 300 days to 3,000. And I'm like, well, that's where I'm going to be. So where will you be when I'm at 3,000? We'll have a chat again then. Yeah, that would be great. That would be awesome. Yes, that's perfect. And you can find Austin's accounts on TikTok and also on Instagram. I'll put the link in the show notes. And just to remind you that this podcast and all opinions contained within it are just one way of looking at sobriety. There is no right way or wrong way to approach your sobriety. And if you're struggling please do reach out and seek help. Thank you for listening.